Van Gogh never sold a painting in a whole lifetime. Mozart died a pauper. What am I, then? You own public library? Hey, that's a very bright man. It's very educational. That's why I come in here. You come in here to get sick, just like everybody else. <laughs> hey, come on. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 248 and our movie this week is 1975's Three Days of the Condor and here to talk with me about it. He hadn't seen it and guess what? Neither have I. It's Josh. Josh, how you doing? Yeah, welcome to Wait, Neither of Us Has Seen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, all right. Good. So good. 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 This was like a uh, last minute a... Christmas present for the year because you you weren't going to record this week, were you? I was thinking about not recording this week. Uh, I was thinking about taking a, a week or two off for at the holiday, and then you mentioned this movie, and I was like, you know what? I haven't seen that one. And you're like, well, neither have I. Let's do it because it's one that I've wanted to see for a while. So, but first, I want to get kind of your background or anything oh, okay. with yeah, this yeah. movie. Well. uh, it was a title I had heard of, mm-hmm. and then uh, about two or three weeks ago, I saw it in a store. Kino Lorber, uh, Lober has a, a 4K release of it, and every there's, there's a local, it was a book and music place, and now they do movies and games and other stuff, but it's like a local okay. chain up here in Maine that uh, I, I frequent, and I always browse their like 4K collections just to like see what's, what's there. So this sure. is one of these... I recognize that name, and I've never actually seen it, so I picked it up and uh, didn't realize that it's also a Christmas movie. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, this is apt. This is this makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I, I, I think I had heard of it, and we'll get into, mm-hmm. as we talk about the movie, watching it the first time, it felt tonally, it felt very, like for me, the experience of watching it, it felt very deja vu-y, because <laughs> it felt like... I haven't seen this. I'm 100% sure I haven't seen this, but I, oh, no, have I seen this? Because this is playing out exactly as, oh, yeah, and then that happened. Uh huh. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I, no, I've never seen, yeah, it was just a weird, did I or no? So, yeah, it, but it, it's been good to actually sit down properly, watch it, enjoy it, and uh, now talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same boat as you. Like I knew of it. I knew three days uh, three days of the Condor existed. Um, it's been referenced a lot. It gets talked about in in movie circles um, and brought up in in other. It's mentioned in other movies occasionally here and there. Um, mm. And I was a big fan of Captain America: The Winter Soldier, which also had Robert yes. Redford and was uh, influenced by this movie. And yeah, so, Russo's but it, very influenced. yeah. And it was just one of those that I just, I hadn't seen and had, uh, I didn't realize that it was streaming anywhere either. Um, and it's funny because another podcast that I listened to called Film Sack just did this uh, movie like two or three weeks ago, if that. It might have even been last week, oh, I'm not sure. Uh, which wasn't planned. Like I, I, And it's one that I know the hosts of. Um, and I saw, oh, great, they're doing Three Days of the Condor. Uh, well, all right, whatever, we're doing it anyway, I don't care. Um, and then, and then, and, and I did not know that it was set around Christmas. So as I'm watching mm-hmm. it, I start hearing carols in the background and all this. And I'm like, Oh, well, this is even more topical because it's like a Christmas movie. So uh, it was even better. But, um, 
Yeah. I had a very similar feeling that you did of sort of that deja vu, right? Like, wait, have I seen this before? No, I definitely haven't seen this before. Um, but it is in that era of 1970s kind of spy thrillers, political thrillers that mm -hmm. were, were coming out sort of in the wake of Watergate um, in a lot of sense. Yeah. I think and it was like, one of the first like big ones, but also I think I, I was reading a little, I did a little, little bit of research because for a mm -hmm. moment I was thinking I might know more about this than Travis does, which is usually not the way <laughs> this works. Um, but uh, I, I did a little research and then I was, when this came out in 75, there was another whole like scandal about what they called family jewels, which was like it after post Watergate, there was a changeover of CIA leadership and then that mm -hmm. guy came in and basically asked for a list of all the things the cia had done that may or may not have been like legit or like on the books or whatever so there's this yeah. whole list of things and then it leaked in like 74 and then people thought this was a, a, a an attempt at cashing in on that and it was like <laughs> sydney pollock was like we shot this movie before that ever came out it didn't come out in theaters <laughs> right. until so it's like no this has nothing to do with that but people wanted to it, it was a very tense political time. Mm -hmm. and it's pre all very the presidents so. men, which I have seen. And yes. I think I'm probably going to start 2024 with a Robert Redford viewing catalog. Like just like watching I've there's a lot of his movies I haven't seen. Like I know one of them, but I don't I don't think I I don't have an idea of like him as an actor. It's like you hear of Brad Pitt, but you don't really see Brad Pitt's performance and like what made him Brad Pitt until like, you look, go back and see some of those early performances. Sure. So, yeah, I need and, more appreciation. You know, for Red. Oh, big time. So I, all the president's men, I love, I love that movie. It is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Came out the next year, uh, the year yeah. after this. Um, and this was right in the era. Um, Another one from the same director of all the President's Men, The Parallax View, was 1974, so it was right before this. You had, uh, I think, that was uh, Alan Pacula, Pacula. And you also had, yeah. um, oh, The Conversation was right in the same era, right? And there was, um, so like a lot of this was all kind of going on at the same time. And I think that's why I had that deja vu is this feels like a, this doesn't feel like all the President's Men but I can tell it's of the same era and it's of the same kind of yeah. general direction, general sort of cardinal direction of all the president's men where that one really dove into um, the conspiracy in a completely different way. This was a much tighter timeline. And mm. um, I kind of like that. I did not know until uh, watching this and then doing a little bit of research that this was based on a novel that came out the year before. So the novel yeah. was called Six Days of the Condor. And so it was an like, even tighter, tighter timeline. <laughs> which is smart if you think about it. Like a movie needs to move a little quicker. It's sort of what worked in the film adaptation of Lord of the Rings was shortening up the timeline and yeah. creating that tension. That was a smart move by, by those filmmakers. And I think it was smart here to kind of cut that in half, give us three days worth of what's going on here and keep that tension up because that this movie really thrived on that tension um that it was creating but i had no idea it was a novel and now i kind of want to find that and read it because i always love to see like what differences happen when you adapt something um, yeah did you um <clears throat> so when i was looking up it's just wikipedia so take it as it is <clears throat> but uh 
I like the quote that the author for the book had, and it was basically he was just talking about like the action because originally it took place in DC, not New York. It took place yep. over six days, so like his quote about the film was that the action had been rewritten had had been relocated from sleepy Washington to furious New York city. Almost all names have been changed. The plot has been vastly overcomplicated is of lesser interest than a straight genre film has been overloaded into an elegy of private political and finally cosmic pessimism, a kind of national, if not metaphysical guilt film to enchant the disenchanted. So I don't know if he's a fan (laughs) Well, I'm guessing, yeah, it's sounding, I, I like, sounding movie, like maybe though. he didn't like it. Well, it wasn't what he was going for with the book. Maybe, yeah, but I like the movie. <laughs> I do too, and and I think what makes it work for one, um, Pollock and Redford both saying like, like it's not a political commentary. We were just making a movie. It was just a story. Oh, they just wanted to have fun with it. Yeah. Oh, that Kino think... Lorber version has a commentary track with a couple of historic, uh, like film historian writers. There's also a, a Pollock. Mm commentary but i turned it off because you only hear half the volume of the movie and he doesn't make them that much comment so you're just watching a half muted version of the movie for a lot of it and i'm like you know i'll I'll listen to that one later there there are some directors uh, because i love commentary tracks i always love when uh you see filmmakers kind of go back revisit something and talk about what they were doing when they were making it and all that kind of stuff it's fascinating to me um Mm. but there are some filmmakers that just shouldn't do commentary tracks um and <laughs> yeah uh like the one that always gets me is john mctiernan who i mean fan fascinating director right directed some great action stuff listening to his commentary tracks was like watching paint dry it was yeah. so dull and i couldn't do it um and then you got where it's fun is when you get a couple of them in the room and they can riff right. off of each other a little bit like um david fincher and brad pitt being in the room together mm. for fight club like that was great because you could tell that they had a good time making it and they just enjoy each other's company so or like carpenter and russell yes <laughs> that's yep, always exactly just laughing about stuff yeah well why uh-huh. i brought up the commentary they mentioned in this that um after having worked together i guess pollock was brought into it as a second director there mm-hmm. was somebody else that was gonna do it and then <laughs> i believe per the anecdote anecdotal uh, from the commentary track, they paid the guy that was originally going to do it his full salary not to do the movie, and then Sidney Pollock came in to direct it, and then or Brad Pitt was already not Brad Pitt, Robert Redford was uh, already signed, and then he suggested Sidney Pollock, and then the two of them yeah. were just like, yeah, let's just do a fun spy movie. Let's just we haven't done that, so it was just supposed to be fun. So. Yeah, yeah, because by this point, uh, Redford and Pollock had worked together. They ended up working together like seven times, um, mm. which is, you know, I, I always love those pairings, right? You get a director and an actor that just click. Um, yeah, but this but was I like, like the that Robert fourth. Redford, but I like that he worked with other people. Like this was a very busy time for him too. Like, oh yeah, uh, I technically seventy three or whatever. I, like Wikipedia has his career built and like broken into like early like prime and then like his directorial so like this is the like near the beginning of his like prime like getting awards and nominations every year but i'm glad Mm -hmm. that he worked with a variety of people didn't just stick with one guy like nowadays you get a lot of family type everybody that works with this like uh wes anderson stuff like you you know who to expect in those movies because he always works Uh with the same people so i'm glad they swapped yeah yeah they 
I, I am too. Cause, cause I like Redford working with Pollock and I like, but I also like them working with other people and seeing the, the different stuff that they can do. I mean, perfect example. He does three days of the condor, Robert Redford does. And then the next year he's doing all the president's men, different director, right. same genre of film though. So it's kind of neat to see the two different takes on it. Yeah. Which feels um, like a more tense movie to me than this does, which is weird because this is the spy political spy thriller, but all the president's men, I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember it being like, edge of my seat like glued to the tv watching it <laughs> it is i think some of it this this movie definitely had that tension um the the scene in the elevator with robert redford and max von Sydow is great mm. um yeah because what's brilliant about that scene is that uh Cidow, von Sydow knows who he is immediately and he's following him and but you've got redford who's um you know he he doesn't know for sure but he's paranoid and so he's not trusting of anything going on right at this point um so it just makes for a great scene and the two of them playing off of each other so well i love max von Sydow is great and it's amazing how much yeah. younger he looks here than he did two years earlier in the exorcist because the exorcist was yeah. just a couple years earlier than this but they aged him up so much for that movie and that's always the first thing that comes to mind with him so then and I he's see having here and I'm fun like, with this too, which is oh yeah, totally different. <laughs> you can Very tell he's enjoying so. this. Role. Yeah, it's it, that had to have been a fun role to play because you just get to be like enigmatic and mm. just kind of have fun. Um, yeah, he's just a force and, in this movie. He's not like yeah, an, there's no arc. He's pure i mean spoilers if you haven't seen the movie like he's literally just like a person for hire will work for whoever outbids mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know he's who, good at what you he know, does. oh he's very good you know who he is he is this movie's version of anton chigurh right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. anton chigurh is that same thing where he's just that force he's for hire he doesn't care and that's this character here um who i'm gonna pronounce the name right or try anyway oh uh, Joubert. Joubert. Jobert. Yeah, Jobert. Yeah. Um, he just, he doesn't care. It, that scene with him and Redford at the end is mm -hmm. probably my favorite scene in this movie just because of the yeah. way he's describing it as they're walking out and he's, he's kind of explaining to him like how easy things could be for him. But like, he goes, well, can you take me back to the city? And that whole explanation of exactly how it's all going to play out. I yeah. loved. Which and he just tells him all that. Word for word used in a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Which I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. This is one of those touchstone movies where it's like so many things have copied or been inspired by this, that that's part mm -hmm. of why I feel like maybe that's why I've seen it before. But also winter soldier. I listened to a podcast about you know, somebody. It was a podcast about a TV show, but in a break, they did the Marvel movies. And I'm thinking during the winter soldier episode, I may have heard a lot about mm. this movie. But like yeah, that I could never be seen it, like pinned it. So maybe some of it's just coming back to surface now. But well, I had never actually vis visually watched it until just now. But yeah, <laughs> sure. No, but I mean, it's a, what it what this is, is this is sort of that movie that filmmakers watched. Um, mm. And there's certain sometimes you get that, like you get certain bands that are sort of the musicians, musicians, um, and you get movies <laughs> that can be really popular, but also are those movies that people who are into movies watched and then they got into making movies. And so they were influenced by it 
or it's taught yeah. in film schools. I, I think I read somewhere where the script for this is still uh, often taught in film schools um, and yeah. used as an example. Um, so, you know, even if you don't see or get the direct references that can show up and stuff, it's there. Like the DNA of it is there. Seinfeld being a perfect example, right? Like they literally verbatim do that whole, that whole speech. And I just, I love that. Um, getting to finally see like the, the real, the original. Um, mm -hmm. And for, as a character for that, for Turner to hear all this from this guy and there, he has no reason at all not to 100% believe what the dude is telling him. And he's still like, I'm going back anyway. And he's got that because that's kind of the cool thing about the character that Robert Redford plays is Turner is mm -hmm. he's very driven at this point. He's not because he's not a field agent. He's not a spy. He says so much mm -hmm. like he just reads books. He's an analyst. Um, yeah. But but all this stuff happens and he sort of has it. It's that line when he talks to um, Higgins on the street right at the end where he says, what is it with you people? You know, you think that, um, how did it go? You think that not getting caught in a lie is the same as telling a truth. Yeah. Which, yeah. I which I believe has I been quoted in other things plenty of times. Or I think oh, yeah. actually Sidney Pollack has used that line in other movies. I believe, I think it mentions on the Wikipedia again, but yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, it's such a great line and it's, and it's in, uh, it's very illustrative of his character at that point where he's like, look, I don't, he got into this because he was just good at it. He got recruited into the CIA, but he can't yeah. wrap his head around like this kind of stuff. You know, it it's weird because I, I, so I watched this about a week ago for the first time mentioned it to you and then i rewatched it today to refresh myself and mm -hmm. there were a couple of things when you sit down to watch a movie for the second time that it's still kind of fresh like you go into it and you forget about things and then you realize all oh, right that's why they okay yeah and then that's and things with um we haven't even mentioned faye dunaway um right. I, I was very hit or miss on her at first and then grew to appreciate her the first viewing. And then the second viewing, I really enjoyed her a lot more. And I saw a mm -hmm. lot more elements of her character that I didn't pick up on in the first viewing because I hadn't seen the whole thing. But um, with uh, Redford as Joe Turner, one, I like how there's so much show don't tell. And even when they do tell to give like character stuff and exposition, it's done in such a fill in the blanks kind of way like there's a moment where a guy in the in the cia office when they're interviewing higgins is like well i don't understand and the guy in charge just says exactly and just keeps the it's like oh we're, we're just gonna keep moving and we yep. don't yeah you're not you're not paid to think don't worry about yeah but with this <laughs> um it's funny because it made me realize that yes he does read everything as higgins mentions um like this man reads everything like comic books spy romance multiple languages blah 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 blah. um and so what i realized is watching it this time it's like in a sense all of us have this like i'm gonna go to the store and get milk and it's just gonna be a mundane thing but you could also mm -hmm. take it as i'm going to put on some like high energy music and I'm going to put on my sunglasses. I'm going to kind of fit into a role while I go do this and kind of make it my own thing. 
And so I think he's got this vast collection of stories and narratives and how things can flow and move that as the threat to him shifts and changes and elevates or as he gets more information, like you can see his like character kind of honing into this fluid, adaptive, like assess the, uh, the threat function basically. Um, but he's got all this stuff that he can pull from, which he utilizes throughout the movie. Um, yeah. But it's like, he's never just the, he's never just one. It's weird because it's almost like he doesn't have an arc. His arc is just to survive. But mm-hmm. all of this stuff was in him the whole time. It just was not called upon until needed for this. Yeah. Yeah. Because he doesn't have, like, he's not, he doesn't have training to be mm-hmm. all of this, but he does have training in it in a way because he just absorbs so much of it and he goes like off. I played of the video game of it. <laughs> but kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's not that dissimilar to, um, what was the movie? Uh, oh, Gran Turismo that just came out where the, the, kid, oh, yeah. um, you know, becomes a race car driver because of playing Gran Turismo. Like there, there Which is really something happened, to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. based on a true story. So like there is something to that. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility um, because he's never put in a situation that he shouldn't be able to handle. The closest would be when the mailman shows up at Faye Dunaway's apartment at Kathy's place. Yeah. And, and even there, like he utilizes his surroundings enough to just barely get through that fight, but it it easily could have gone completely oh, differently yeah. for him uh, at any point. There, there was never, it, it didn't have this feeling like, oh, he's going to definitely survive this. Like, no, it could have gone bad real quick or something yeah. could have happened to her. Um, and that could have affected him like either way. So I enjoyed that aspect of things quite a bit. And I also liked um, when Joubert says, Early on, at one point, he goes, look, he's on the run. He's an amateur. He could probably, um, what is it? How does he phrase it? Like, he could uh, surprise a professional or something, right? Because he's unpredictable. Because they don't, like, Jobert doesn't know exactly what Turner's going to do. Whereas if he was a field agent, if he was a a CIA operative, like, he would know. Because he knows the training. This guy doesn't have that training. So... That worked in his favor. It was a lot of luck um, and uh, and just kind of straight instinct of like survival, but uh, right. it worked and I yeah. bought it the whole way through. Um, to the point where what, you don't even see, because he mentions when he's in that same line, when he's talking about predictability, he mentions mm-hmm. Wix was a professional. Wix was predictable. Wix was the, the DC guy that came up, the, the yeah. section chief or whatever. Um, and like you just see a nurse walk out of a room back to the desk, you hear the beeping, the beeping stops. And then was that 18? Yeah. And then later you hear Jobert talking about like, oh yeah, that was no, yeah, I just went in and I took care of it. Like it's resolved. It's like, mm-hmm. he's so predictable that like, we didn't even need to see him kill him. We just know it took place because of the context. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. So it's like this Joe Turner is much more interesting. Let's see what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. And, and the interplay of like him, because he goes super paranoid right off the jump. Like as soon as he gets back from lunch, which a, I love the idea that they just send one person out for lunch and it just, it was just Joe's day. It was Joe's day to have to go pick up lunch. Um, but, uh, he gets back and of course all hell is broken loose. Phone doesn't work in there. So he takes off. 
he finds the payphone, which yes, doesn't take his those. bike because he realizes that if somebody is still watching the place, they'll see that the bike's taken. Yep. Yeah, he does a lot of, and there's no narration. You just do a lot of watching his facial expressions and like, yes, okay, I'm gonna watch this with my dad during the next week and see what his thoughts are on it because he doesn't pick up on those cues usually. So I want to see if how well he can follow it. <laughs> I think It'll he won't have problems cause... with it because it's well made. Yeah, and I think that's that's the reason you don't need the narrative, right? Like you don't uh-huh. need a voiceover or in we don't need to hear his thoughts because it's so well put together and yeah. showing them on the screen. It's that you mentioned that they do a lot of show don't tell in this and mm-hmm. I appreciate that in a film. Um because that was one of the things that made like the later cuts of Blade Runner work better was when it becomes a show don't tell. We don't need to hear Harrison Ford explaining everything to us just let the movie let that stuff unravel and that's part of what makes this work so well is it's pieces slowly fall into place we learn more about turner we learn more about the cia we learn more about the plot as it goes without having to have somebody just spoon feed it and um you know higgins as a character doesn't necessarily have an arc so much but you're never fully sure exactly where he's coming from yeah and same with wabash same with atwood and so it could be any of them at any point could get revealed as the mastermind behind it so i kind of liked how that all played out um i just i just really love it even watching it the second time remember knowing that it was wicks that is in the alley that kills sam and then you know gets shot by turner and then whatever Watching it the set the first time, I'm like, all right. Watching his section chief come in, meet with Higgins while Higgins is on the phone with Turner, and like he's got your pictures, he's reviewing them now. And I'm like, I didn't really get a whiff that that guy was anything but just like a desk agent until he's in that alley. And then it's like, oh. And then you don't. I think it's actually for that reason you don't see Wicks again after the alley scene. You don't see him in the hospital. Maybe it was a scheduling thing but i think it's good that you don't see him again because it doesn't give his character like a third phase to make it's it's just two points of a line of, of a line it doesn't give an arc it's just yeah. here's how he was in the office here's what he's doing outside the office and also because joe doesn't see him beyond that we don't see any more information it this movie is very selective at giving you more information than joe only to increase the tension you feel when he's put into the next situation but it's pretty yeah. much kept from his perspective the whole time so most yeah, of the time without it <laughs> without it being a a first person sort of narrative most of the information we have is information that turner also has uh with a few yeah. exceptions and you're right the those few exceptions create the tension us knowing who jobert is before and, he gets off the elevator and yep yep so us knowing that makes that scene so much more tense because of how calm he is um yeah the realization and, and of redford's kind of face like and i uh, love I, yeah. and then how that whole scene plays out too because joe but he, he has him leave first and the guy just bolts right out of the building and turner instinctively when he gets out he's looking around for him he doesn't see him and so I'm thinking, okay, how is he going to get out of this? And it was brilliant to offer that group of people a couple bucks to help him break into his car. Mm-hmm. And just so he can walk out with a group of people. And again, yeah. there's Jobert and it's like, 
he didn't anticipate that. Like that wasn't something yeah. he thought of. And so he this, can't is do anything 19, now. this is also 1970s New York, which is not so much the New York of today. Right. So <laughs> there may be more That's... implication. I think there was one person commented like on to the extent of like, why are you asking us to help you break into a car? And it was like, okay, well, there's definitely a, a variety of ethnicities present in the lobby at that moment. And so mm-hmm. I, it's like, yeah, you wouldn't want to ask someone to help you break into your car. Cause like, you're probably just going to get robbed anyway. But then like, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, it's funny how it all plays out like that, but yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right in that, or I agree with you the first time watching it, I had no idea Wicks. Uh, that threw me off when he kicks the trash cans. So like, cause as that scene in the alley is playing out, I'm watching that and I'm like, why is he setting another trash can on top of that one? And why does he keep standing? Yeah. Like, I couldn't figure out why he was standing off to the side and here's Sam and he's not wearing the vest, but he's got Sam wearing a bulletproof vest and all that kind of stuff. And so the I just, very I, first clue to that when they're about to leave the, uh, the quartermaster or whatever, like he flips mm-hmm. Sam's vest around, puts it on him. And then he goes over and they're talking and he's like, Oh, what about you? Do you need a firearm? He's like, Oh yeah. And then Sam comes over and like, Hey, what, what's the deal with those murders? And just wicks. And this is the moment when like, you know, something is wrong. He's just like, what murders? Yeah. And it wasn't, it was just so throwaway. And then it cuts to Robert Redford. I'm like, Oh, he got to die. Oh, <laughs> and, and wrong the thing is, so like first, first watching of it, you can throw that away as like, oh, it's just CIA, right? It's spies. It's, it's, you don't have clearance. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't have the clearance to know that that's perfect. Um, and then no, the second time through, you're like, oh yeah, no, he's, uh, and, and it's just his, like his whole body language in the, in the alley. And then on top of that, man, Sam goes out. That's rough. Like, yeah, because I was expecting also, the the Hollywood cliche of you know bullet between the eyes, and he yeah, shoots even him watching in the throat. The, even watching it the second time today, I was like, "Oh, it's the throat, right?" I was like, "Visual, like it's man- Mandela effect." I was like, "No, he mm-hmm. gets shot." In the- no, he doesn't. Um, but also, didn't didn't pick up on it the first time, obviously. But and almost missed it this time. But there's when he's in the movie, uh, when he's when he's when Robert Redford gets into the office and he's drawing the calligraphy and is it Joan? Is her name Joan? The woman uh, in the office that he's in yeah. a relationship with Janice. Um, Janice, yes. Um, when he's talking with her, she says, "Don't forget, we have dinner with Sam and I can't remember the the." Right. Aim, aim, May, Sam and May this evening. Yeah. So that's what when he gets to the house later to basically tell her to get out of there because she's about to die, and he sees mm-hmm. the place settings for four, and it's like, oh right, this is the holidays. We were having, we, but it's not addressed as Christmas. It's just, it's very like sense of life. Like it's like, oh okay, yeah. Hey, don't forget we get this later. Oh yeah, yeah. And then yep. he gets there, and it's like, we well, get the context and, of all of it, but yeah, it establishes and, and, Sam earlier than when we just meet him, but it's, right. it's a very th- small seed they and, plant early. <laughs> yeah. And you don't think about that, but there again, that's some of the brilliance of the script, right? Like I love a script that will set something up early that you don't notice. You don't think about and then oh, pay yeah. it off. That's why like one of the greatest, I think w- written movies that I've ever seen personally, it's hot fuzz because as a comedy, it sets up joke after joke after joke and pays all of them off by the end of it. It doesn't leave anything hanging. And yeah. I just think it's brilliant. And this movie did that because 
I, I didn't make that connection early on. And then it was in wreath. It was in thinking about it afterwards, like, Oh, and so then you have to put yourself in the shoes of Turner. He walks in to may to see may and she's talking about, Oh, Janice must be working late and Sam's working late. And he knows they're both dead and to keep it together during all of that, as well as he did is pretty impressive. And it's just like, from an emotional standpoint, I can connect to that character a little bit more like, oh man, this had to have just been like horrendous to have to, to see the table. Cause it's, it's one thing to know those people are dead. It would even be one thing to oh, talk, yeah. be talking to May, but then to look at the table and see settings for four and know that the two of them are never going to see this table. They're never going to see that. It's just, oh, I can't, I can't imagine yeah. what that is. While at the same time, he's got to think about like, I need to stay alive and I need to make sure she stays alive and just the gut punch of that kind of stuff. And then for the following scene to be him running into a guy in the hallway who is an assassin there to kill him. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's also, uh, and, and, and it's weird because this is not show. Don't tell. This is very much tell. Don't tell, but Mm -hmm. Wicks when he's prepping Sam makes a comment she ever used to be his girl or she ever be, used yeah. to be Turner's girl. And then when he gets to the house, she opens the door and like, Oh, Hey babe. And like leans in. And so like, they don't ever clearly say that anything happened, but like even may or whatever, I, I think her name was may, but um, it is may. okay. Yeah. Uh, she's even like, Oh, well, if they don't show up, it'll just be the two of us like old times. And it's like, so they're very heavily implying like, there was a previous connection and relationship. And then it, it yep. and it, it's weird because it almost adding more emotional weight. And as this stuff starts to like fill in, like in your head, like, Oh, Oh, okay. I see. Oh, I see why. Okay. Yeah. And as all this is happening, you start to also realize that they literally went to this building, to this apartment, to this hallway for like a few shots Mm-hmm. And they had this actress come in for this one scene, and then like they never go back to it. They never touch on it again. They just keep moving nope. forward. And I'm like, wow, they put so much into that, even beyond what was on the screen. That's how effectively it was put together. It was like, wow, okay. And, and but you also start to realize, like, I don't have he, he Robert Redford, uh, his, his character Joe Joe Turner's like, you can just see him thinking so much in this movie, and it's just like. Mm-hmm. It it, yeah. it all boils down to like what do I need to do at the moment, regardless of what I think and feel and care. Like people are dead. Excuse me. Um, and all of this is before Faye Dunaway. Oh no, he he leaves her house to go to Amy's. That's right. But um, yeah, I I I don't know. I I feel like if I had to pick, I really like the first day the most <laughs> of the three days, or really two a two point five days or whatever. But yeah. There was a lot more that happens that day, I think. I think so, because it's a lot of Joe beginning to figure things out and, and go through that. Like more dynamic, by day, I think. Yeah, it is far more dynamic. Because by day three, he's got a he's starting to get a grasp on it. Now there is the big reveal of like who it was behind it and why, which I did actually like that quite a bit, where he's like, It's it's about oil. And then and then I think about it and it's like, oh, the oil embargo. Uh, and the gas prices started going up in like what 72, 73, I think, was when all that was happening. 
if I remember, if, if memory serves from like history. So, you know, oil was a big thing at the time. So this movie is very topical in that, in that aspect of like, that's what was going on. And you've got, you know, Higgins telling him at the end, like, we play games, we, we, we do hypotheticals and it was somebody taking that hypothetical too far, but we need to know because yeah. what's going to happen in a couple of years when there actually is a lack of whatever, you yeah. know, people we aren't going to want us to. Own. Yeah. And we, and, and people are just going to want us to do it. So we need to be prepared to be able to just do the thing. Um, yeah. Which I thought was, was fascinating. Like, it's a it's a really cool ending to this, but, but yeah, I just, I just loved how you, you put it perfectly. You see Joe Turner thinking all the yeah. time and working out problems and working out situations. And even like the first, when they first get back to Kathy's apartment and um, this was something, and I actually had a note about this cause I love this. So I, there's always the trope in TV and movies where you flip on the TV or you look at the TV and it's running the news, giving you the exact expositional information you need at that moment. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a great trope. You know, you, fl- you're, you're walking by the wall of TVs in the electronic store and the news is playing. It doesn't matter what time it is. So right. I love that they didn't, they did that, but they didn't do it. Like he has to wait because it's not six o'clock yet. So the news isn't on Yeah, because he wants to know about what's going on. So he need, he's like oh, 40 minutes. And meanwhile, the adrenaline is draining from his body, right? So he's crashing hard. Oh, it's hitting him. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. And everything is hitting him. And so he needs to like lay down and just close his eyes for a minute, but he can't, she, he knows she doesn't believe him right now. And so he can't trust her not to just bolt or call the cops or whatever. And you see him like the, you can hear the gears turning in his head as he figures out what to do. And his solution, albeit a little, uh, a little difficult, um, is pretty intelligent to like, it's effective take... if not excessive, but yeah. Yes, that's a per- that's perfect. Effective if not excessive, yeah. but it works. And then he gets to turn on the TV after you know he wakes up. And even then, they don't fully lean into the trope because now we've got to sit through this whole like he turned on the TV during a commercial break. Yeah. So but I love that they use that moment for character development. Yes, that was exactly where I was going. Is it's perfect because yeah. it gives that moment for for Kathy and Joe to have a connection for him to just, he's just waiting and he starts looking around and he sees her photos and it's a great moment of development. And it gives a reason why there would be uh, any kind of connection between the two of them. Um, Mm -hmm. So it, it helps to ease the like forced romance angle of most movies, right? Because now we're getting an actual connection point that can be extrapolated later. Um, yeah. And she also, okay, continue, can finish your thought. Yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna say, even, even though like it's still in some ways and maybe it would be more effective on a second, uh, second or third watch. Um, it still in some ways feels a little bit forced, like the whole romance uh, angle of it, but that's Hollywood. So I can kind of, you know, I can sort of explain that myself. It it definitely it definitely falls into I think the adrenaline the situation like you know every obviously every James Bond movie has like the mm-hmm. the, the throwaway 
ish women that he sleeps with and moves on or whatever, you know. So it's like it is a spy movie, but it's a, it's about a spy who's not really a spy. He just has a he just knows a lot of irrelevant information. I mean, it's basically yeah. his whole job. He's just sifting through neat, like haystacks looking for hypothetical needles. Yeah. Um, and so he's got all this excess information, so it's just filtering it into a way of understanding the situation. But I love how it, it was one of those moments where like this movie hits you in waves. Like you see that first like introduction to the office, you meet every other character in the office except Joe, and then you see him on his bike. Um yep. and you hear some like Christmas music, and you're like, all right, this is around Christmas, and then you forget about it. And then when he's talking with her so I was saying it hits you in waves because there's a couple of movie, a couple of moments where, um, I will, I, I, I might have had like a drink and something else before I watched it the first time because I was like, I'm gonna sit down and enjoy this movie, see how it goes. Sure. Um, side note, I did the exact same thing with another movie that I had heard about multiple times in the course of like three weeks and decided to pick up that I actually didn't have that great of an experience with uh, being there. <laughs> being mm. there is is uh. I asked a friend, I said, would you consider this a slow comedy? He said, yes, absolutely. I'm like, okay, it's such a slow movie. Um, it is. Yes. But with this, so what I was getting to is it keeps like hitting you in the face, like the writing and the direction and the acting in this movie keeps like hitting you in the face with like, like how well it's executed. And so when mm-hmm. she's, when he's commenting, he breaks it, he, he brings her to the apartment. He's like, oh, first of all, I love the, do you live alone? It's like, no, I, I have, you live alone. <laughs> he, yeah. he can read her. Um, mm-hmm. and she just sees him as a threat. And then when he stops and like clocks the pictures and like comments, it's like, it's not winter. And she's not giving, she's like, yeah, it's just winter. And she's not giving him more information. He's not worth clarification. But then he offers, no, it's not fall. It's not winter. It's November. And just like the specificity yeah. of it. And like when you're a person who does a creative thing and somebody comes in and just gets it like you do have that connection or you feel seen so i think that's like when she starts to crack and like you see past the veneer a bit and it's for her this is if you were to take like i guess the beowulf grendel alternate version of this from her perspective where she's just going to get ski equipment and then gets abducted (laughs) and then does this little spy thing it's kind of a fun little story she can tell somebody later on like oh you never guess what happened you know but it's just like that i don't know it's 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 an interesting relationship but then once she's it it ties it up really well because their last interaction when she's a when he leaves her to um go to the guy's to house atwood. yeah yeah atwood yes um when he leaves her to go to atwood's house and he's just like i just need eight hours like you're gonna go but like can you not call anybody and we as the audience we get that we're like yeah i just need you to not do this and you can almost see the level of hurt it's subtle but it's Mm -hmm. effective like you still think i'm gonna turn you in and it's like he's just gotta be sick he's just gotta be sure but also like they're never gonna see each other again after this i don't think no but it, it, it she has a complete arc and i think he has a decent ish arc with her but or we just get to see through her arc we get to see more of him about yeah him, so yeah that's a good point and i also like that the movie ends very ambiguously because he he oh, ends up with this idea 
Yeah, because he gets the idea, and it's a brilliant reveal of it, right? Because he's had uh, Jobert has has basically told him, "Look, you go back to New York, the company's going to erase you." Um, mm-hmm. And that's just here's exactly how it's going to happen. He's like, "Whatever, I'm going to go anyway." And Jobert, to his credit, is like, "Gladly, I'll take you." Like he has this respect for Turner. Yeah. Game recognizes game. Um, yeah. And so he, <laughs> he takes him back and then we get him on the street and he gets Higgins. And I just love it because by this point now, like Turner, Turner kind of has at least a pretty good idea of sort of how things are going to go down. And he talks to, he starts talking to Higgins and he sees the car and like, he's just got everything in play and Higgins has no clue what's going on, Yeah, which I think is awesome. And he walks him right up in front of the New York times and he's like, what did you do? And uh, he's just like, I told him a story. You play games. I told him a story. Little bitch. You did some more damage, which they're, they're basically securing oil futures for the, com- for mm-hmm. the government, for the, for the country. So that we don't destabilize. And so you're kind of like, yeah, Higgins isn't wrong. <laughs> like you did do more damage, but also like you're the bad guy. I, 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 I I feel like especially in modern cinema or maybe in the last like 15 years, that's become more of a prominent thing of like, yeah, you fought for your impassioned cause that you cared a lot about on your small scale. But the ramifications of you doing that are so much larger than you ever understood. And then Mm -hmm. it's like, you did the right thing, but there are consequences for the right thing. And that's become such a thing in the last 15 20 ish years i think yeah uh but seeing it in this i love the ambiguity of the oh they'll print it will they and then you see it's like as he's walking away and i love that it cuts when you don't even see half of his face it's just obscured and it's like he's in public but he's hiding and you don't know and it's like it's a friend of mine would watch that and get pissed off because he'd be like, that's not an ending. You yeah, Give me some definition. Give, tell me exactly what happens. And I'm like, no, that, that's the beauty of this is that is ah, it, it's so good. It's so good because we just don't know. And so you can then fill in the blanks as you want, or you can uh, you, you can go in so many different directions there. But it's brilliantly done because neither one of them in that situation are incorrect and neither one of them are correct. Like yeah. Turner, Turner is convinced they're going to run the story and you're, you know, all this dirty laundry is going to get aired. And Higgins is like, okay, first of all, you done, you done messed up and things are going to get uh, potentially worse. But also, do you really think they're going to run the story? Because now as a viewer, I'm watching this thinking, so wait, he's probably got connections with the New York times. Like the, there's no way the CIA isn't able to, to do something there but you want to believe in freedom of the press and you've got, you know, this, this, like all of the, these things are playing out at once and the movie just yeah. like, and that's it. <laughs> Have fun. Well, and it's one of those, um, it taps into one of those things where again, you know, like you're, you're, you're taught or you, you know, mostly should be taught when you're growing up, like, you know, be honest and don't tell lies and tell the truth. And this mm-hmm. whole agency is based off secrecy. So it's yeah. like, what if you, it, in effect, if you work for a government agency that specializes in secrecy, but you have a very strong moral compass and honor code, like, is this really the best place for you? But yeah, yeah he was a book reader. It wasn't like he was out, you know, doing missions and stuff, um, which also I love. I, you could take any clip of Higgins and, and it would just be a good 
quote worthy clip like all of his dialogue is very on point he doesn't crack i also love the their first exchange oh and that's the other thing is um that's what made me think of this we, standing outside the new york times or post or whatever it was and then um it's like i just gave him a story and it's like well two days ago you didn't even know who this guy was so how do yeah. they know who you are and how do they know who he is and they just like <laughs> we recorded two people on the street talking about some conspiracy theory okay do you have any sources okay uh it's like that it could be nothing um but i right. that first the first exchange with higgins on the phone that whole conversation i figure every conversation that he I, I wonder how much of it is pulled directly from the book because it i feel like a lot of that stuff must have been directly from the book because it's so well like structured um mm-hmm. it's very tit for tat where it's like answer a question with a question like how come i have a code name but you don't okay turner and it's like but i love the beginning the end of the conversation when it's like all right stay safe for 20 for, for for an hour stay safe for 60 minutes and we'll bring you in and it's like uh can you tell me what's going on I'll talk to you in an hour. And he just like hangs yeah. up the phone and then turns and like, you've got 55. It's like, <laughs> it's like, Oh, okay. It, he performs it so well. That, that actor, oh. I'm, I've seen him in other things and I'm going to start looking for him more because he's, he's very good at that. Cliff, Cliff Robertson is the actor. He yes. played Higgins. Um, and he's great. Um, he was one of a couple of Oscar winners in this, um, mm. He had won for a movie a couple years earlier. Um, but yeah, the thing with Higgins that's so great is you can tell he's been with the company for a long time. And yeah. he gets the game. He gets the spy craft. He gets all of it. And so he's just, he's a very smooth operator that just knows what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. And mm-hmm. it, it works so well. Um, and then to have, and I love... Uh, and you kind of mentioned earlier how this is sort of a slice of life in a lot of ways, right? It's just because it only takes place over those couple of days, but that moment with Higgins and Mr. Wabash, John Houseman's character, where mm-hmm. they're just reminiscing a little bit, you know, and he mentions like, yeah, you were part of OSS back in world war two. And, um, what was that like? Before we were smart miss- enough to number them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, do you, do you miss that? And like Wabash's response is, I miss the clarity. I miss um, the action. Which, I don't miss the action. I miss the clarity. Yeah, that was which is a good was line. So good. Oh, it's it hits good. you. It hits you like a bell. Like oh, you're like oh, let that resonate for a bit. Yeah. And and then on top of that, when you think about that scene at this point now, they know that it's Atwood. They figured that out, and they're basically just two guys having a conversation while they wait for confirmation that. Uh, that Atwood's going to get removed from play because that's when that phone rings and Wabash answers it. And he's just like, okay, good. Did they know? They knew taking, taking a brief pause to comment on how minimal, but effective the major was in this as well. Every time he had Mm -hmm. to call the major, I was like, Oh, it's this guy. Oh, and again, we don't know much about him, but like, it's a guy in a wheelchair at a desk in front of a huge, like this guy is, incredibly interesting i want to hear his story yeah (laughs) Uh, but i i was watching it today i was like he's in the room i love that like connecting you now and he literally like turns his head and higgins is right there um 
And then later we reveal that like Wabash and them are there too. But I was wondering, like, is it does is it is it established that Wabash knew about Atwood, or is it just that Higgins knew? Because Hig, I think Higgins had Atwood killed by Jobert. Because he doesn't respond when Turner's on the phone with him in that last office phone call. Mm -hmm. He just, like, lets him talk, and then Wabash is watching Higgins. So I was wondering, like, is it established that... I mean, they know Atwood, obviously, because of work, but I didn't know if they knew that it was his thing. I think they figured that out because Turner told him, uh, basically told them that. Uh, in a, in a way, because oh, okay. um, he mentions the but name was Atwood on the call, or was it just Higgins what? that heard that? It was they had it playing, um, I think, like on a speaker, and I think Wabash was there. It was that scene where he calls in for the last time. Um, yeah, but I thought it was just Higgins hearing it on the phone. I didn't think the other people could hear Turner's side hmm. of it. Maybe it was recorded and they played it. But yeah, it could have gone either way. But again, the ambiguity in this movie it doesn't matter because effectively it right. keeps moving. But yeah. Well, and, sure and that's yeah, and and that's again, that's a strength of this movie is the ambiguity and the fact that you never, you don't really like Higgins is mostly on Turner's side, but also at the same time very cold and kind of like, well, you're just sort of out in the wind, and we're just going to have to wait and see what happens type of uh, type of thing towards Turner at at times too. So he's yeah. he's like he's not the bad guy, but he's not a good guy either. He's just in that morally gray area. And you kind of get that same feel from like Wabash because Wabash has moments where you, uh, where you could kind of go in either direction Atwood, I don't think was necessarily a bad guy. Like he was the, he was behind the hit and all of that, but he had his reasons for it. Um, so like, I just, I love that moral ambiguity of everybody. Um, yeah. Well, even Wabash and Higgins, when they're talking near the end of the movie, talks about like, you know, you do well for yourself. Like, why? Like, kind of, why haven't you? One of the few yeah, moments in the movie where a character returns with a clarification on what was just asked, because at, the way Wabash asks it, I didn't really get where he was going. And then Higgins is like, you mean, why haven't I like sought higher station in the CIA or like I could have been yeah. promoted by it? So then I'm start, and now I think about it after the fact. This is definitely one of those movies where if a bunch of people went and saw it in the '70s, they would definitely have conversation about it after the fact. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to chew on here, but that's uh, it makes me wonder. Like, yeah, Higgins. There's a, there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'm good where I am. I don't want to move up because it's more responsibility or more whatever. Yeah. But then now I'm also like the ambiguity and like directness of everything Higgins does. He's very consistent in all of his delivery and his tone. Um, it's very metered, but then you start to think like, if he has that much control over his tone and his delivery, and he's that quick that he can form like detente, like like he can form reposts, like and and like counteract questions and disseminate things, whatever, quickly. Maybe he was, maybe he knew about all this, and he realized, well, rather than have this whole thing blow up, I can just have all of this eliminated. So like maybe there's a th- there's a there's a possibility that Wabash didn't know and all of this was Higgins's operation I'm not putting it on him but I'm just also saying it's ambiguous enough that you also could think maybe there was reason he stayed where he was because he could oversee certain things that he wouldn't have other 
access to otherwise. So I don't yeah, know. There's a lot of ways it could have gone, but it's it's like the thing in that way. It's like, well, that guy was well, I don't know, but it, it's like it not knowing is part of the fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. Because you're right. I I hadn't really thought about that, but all of that makes sense. That that Higgins could have been yeah, much more in the know. So yeah, it's very, very cool. Um a couple of things I wanted to to mention that I observed while watching this movie. Number one, um Owen Roisman did the cinematography, he was a director of photography for it. He had Mm -hmm. done um the French connection a couple years earlier. He did uh, The Exorcist. He was the uh, director of photography for that. So, like, he's got a look. And he Mm. seemed to be really good at capturing the look of New York at this time. Because it is very specific. very New York. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, that was just an observation I had that I really liked. I also noticed, um, one, I love the music in this. Because the music also gives it that same feel. It really puts it into that era of the 70s. And that kind of filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, listened I to it. the soundtrack on my way home from work this morning. It's only about a 25 minute soundtrack. And oh, the nice. last two songs kind of don't count because one of them is just silver bells. And then the other one is a medley of other tracks, but it was, it, it's an enjoyable soundtrack. I like it. It's like, it's a good atmospheric vibe to it, but then mm-hmm. you're watching the movie and you're like, there's so much that, that doesn't have any music or yeah it's just very quiet and like pulls you in. It's like, okay. Yeah. But the music is good when it's there. Yeah. Yeah. The music is great. And it's uh, a good movie knows when to have music and when to let a scene breathe what it needs. Um, And this one definitely had that. The other thing I noticed, and this was just a personal observation, but man, were there a lot of just striking blue eyes in this movie? Yeah. Like, yeah. Cliff Robertson. They, they, they really got the eyes very well, yeah. Yeah. And they it was lit well, and they just had very, like, like blue, blue eyes. Von Sydow, Cliff Robertson, Robert Redford, everybody. And it's a lot of shots of people just talking to each other. And I just noticed that, and I'm like, man, they, they just grabbed everybody they could with blue eyes. Like, it works. It works for me, because it, it was captivating to watch. It's also funny, because um, I, think, I think the blue eyes add an element of like like you see them with robert redford and it's like oh it's like a trustworthiness like uh oh this is like a a a guy i can relate to but then you see it in Mm -hmm. other people and you're like that element is kind of there but it's like almost like a curiosity and an intrigue because for us the audience we know that yeah max von cedow and uh cliff robertson are really aren't to be trusted or they it adds to the ambiguity it's like Mm -hmm. It's like let's dress this guy in a in the most flattering, like attractive, appealing costume ever, and then make him most the most like hard to deal with person. I don't know. It was it, it, they yeah. they played a lot with like the uh, well, in the costume design, and this is just also pretty good. Like oh, very the, good. Like very it's good. very visually striking. The mailman and the guy. And whatever happened to Poncho? That was my th- watching it this time. I'm like, whatever happened to Poncho? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good he question. Never- I guess. They just didn't need him for the second one. Yeah. Yeah. So he's still out there. (laughs) But again, Um, watching those guys, I was like, that was another, have I seen this? Or I'm like, have I seen a show? Like I almost felt like a family guy parodied this because it was like the detail was very specific. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that mailman guy, which I guess they hired, they, they just did a wide casting call, I guess. And they just like, let's just get guys that have like very 
like striking facial features. So like they pick these two yeah. guys. The mailman when he first comes in kind of reminds me of like a Robert Wool almost a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then as soon as he takes the mailman hat off, I'm like, now he reminds me of like a Colin Firth, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's basically shifts around. It blends very well out of the crowd. Yeah. I don't know. Um and I also like cuz uh, I love that you say like with Robert Redford, the blue eyes are, you know, sort of a trustworthy thing. And uh, Kathy has a great line where she's talking about like the good qualities of Joe Mm, and she mentions his eyes. Yeah. But that they're not kind eyes. They're good, but they're not kind. Yeah. And I loved that distinction and Mm -hmm. for, and for her to pick up on that too, I thought was really cool. Um, And it makes sense that she would as the photographer and as an artist to notice something like that in somebody uh, and that difference, yeah. just like he noticed, he he could tell that her photos weren't winter. They mm-hmm. were that November, like her seeing that in him. I just, I, I really, really enjoyed that. This is just, it's a fantastic movie. There is, uh, yeah. and there's a lot of layers to it. And I do think it has some rewatchability because of that, because you're going to find and pick up on things more the more times that you see it um, because it does so much show don't tell. Yeah. It's definitely a movie I'm planning. I mean, I've watched it twice and when my dad's up later this next week, I'm probably going to watch it with him again. So I definitely think it's, it's, I don't know if it's my favorite Christmas movie, (laughs) but I'm glad that there's another contender up there with like Die Hard. It's not Die Hard is just accepted now, but I'm glad that I can tell people, no, this is a Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's so much of the DNA of of spy movies that have come since this too, because mm-hmm. um, I love a good uh, you know spy movie, the intrigue, whether it's the silliness of some James Bond stuff or some of the things like Redford in Spy Game um, was a great oh, movie. Yeah. Um, with Red or Red. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's um, the Recruit is a good one. I I enjoyed quite a bit with Colin Farrell. Um, yeah. There's there's been a lot of really good spy movies, and I think so many of them do owe to something like this. Sometimes, just like with a like spy movies and and con artist movies, I feel like when they're good, they're really good, but they can kind of collapse under their own weight. Sometimes they try to get too clever, which is where yeah. you know when Ocean's Eleven knew just how much suspension of disbelief you could kind of go through for something like mm-hmm. this before it became, well, I just, whatever, you know, none of it makes any sense anymore. And I feel like this one is one of those spy movies that, that gives you just enough to, to yeah. be like, to, to, to go along with it. You can, you can just strap in and enjoy the ride. Yeah. And, and just how much influence this has on films that have come after it. Uh, is pretty impressive and what it built upon for things like um, I don't necessarily think that the, uh, the parallax would have influenced this because they were too close together to really, to really know. But like the conversation um, is one that would have, I'm sure had at least a little bit of influence on here. Um, Yeah. And we also, we got to remember this is 70, this is the mid seventies. So like the home video and all that stuff wasn't really a prominent thing. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, this kind of movie, it, it, it's great for a theater experience because you would leave this and like a week later, you're still thinking about it. You're like, you know what? I, let's go see it again. I got questions still, you know, so it would keep you coming back. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, the, we can just, I think both of us, like, we're able to access it and watch it within a matter of hours, not, not a problem. <laughs> Whereas back in the day, it's like, no, if you want this specific time and place, and there are going to be other people. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so the conversation no, about it really doesn't continue beyond a few weeks, I think, because it, once the movie's out of the theaters, it's kind of like dies out, I think. But um, yeah. Uh, it, it's nice to see the influence continue on and things. And hopefully like more people will see this movie um, mm. because it was just one that uh, had been like enough of a distance between when it was in theaters and sort of when I was watching movies where it wasn't readily available. It is out there and available now. It is currently streaming on Amazon prime, uh, but it's leaving mm. in a few days. So hopefully it's going to pop yeah. up on another service. Um, but then you found the Blu-ray, uh, which is a 4K version of it. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. I, uh, I'd love to I check will that say, out. I don't know how many Kino Lober, uh, people you have listening to this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but the Blu-ray for this, it, uh, it's very minimal or the 4K, at least the 4K, there's a two channel mono. There's a 5.1 DTS which I swapped between the two of them because it wasn't hitting my back speakers anyway, for some reason. Um, mm. There's the commentary tracks. There's no chapter selection. So, it, and then when you pull up the menu, it's literally just like a still image. And then like, it just says menu audio subtitles that comes up. And so like, oh, wow. I, the first, when I first started watching this, I got through day one and I was tired. So I paused it and I took a nap. Um, I work overnights for anyone who doesn't know. Um, so getting through a whole movie can be hard sometimes, but yeah, uh, when I came back to it, I'm glad that it just picked up where I left off because of the Blu-ray player or the 4k, but, um, yeah, minute, very minimal on like the, it, they, they basically threw the movie on a disc, added a few <laughs> extra things. It was put together well, but I'm like, you could have made a chapter selection. You, the only other DVD I know of that, it, uh, Mulholland drive does not have chapter selections. It has one big chapter. Because Lynch does not want you like skipping around. He's like, no, this is meant to be yeah. viewed as a whole. I don't think this is. This has chapter skips. You can skip ahead and back, but there's no way to manually navigate that through oh, the menu. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Manually navigate. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> but it's definitely oh, worth a watch. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna go say ahead. when you were talking about um spy movies that came after this. It, it popped into my head at first, and then the more I thought about it, I'm like, it really is kind of like the opposite of this. For some reason, uh, the Born Identity popped into my mind a few times while watching this because it kind of mm -hmm. gives that fish-out-of-water story, but also yeah. this gives you the information that is the answers that are the answers to a lot of the questions in the born identity. Like how does he have all this information? Well, okay. Well, Joe Turner reads all these books. Jason Bourne doesn't remember he was a killer. Uh, yeah. But every time I watch the born identity, which isn't that often, I do like the movie. I haven't seen all of the sequels, but I really like it. Um, every time I watch the movie, when they get to the house, you've seen the born identity. I take it. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. So like when they get to the house near the end and Clive Owen is like there, Every mm -hmm. single time I'm watching the movie, that's when I start to realize that I have a pounding headache. <laughs> Every single time I watch the movie. And so it's like, oh, I'm enjoying this movie. But then it like calms down enough and I'm like, oh, I'm really realizing the effect that this movie has had on my mind and my eyes and my ears. And I'm like, okay, I didn't feel any headache in this. But also, like I said, this 
I think both of these kind of end up in similar spots. They have a, oh, he abducts this girl and uses her for a safe haven kind of situation. And there's a lot of similarities, but also, uh, and I think those were books too, weren't they? Yes. Is that Ludlow? Ludlum. Robert Ludlow? Ludlum. Yep. I, honestly, if you had asked me who wrote those, I couldn't have pulled it, but it just came up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, it, that's not a bad uh, comparison, really. They're, they're sort of almost two sides of the same coin. Like they're sort they're they're telling yeah. the same kind of fish out of water, but they're getting they're getting to the same place with different routes. Yeah. Um, this and, is the recalculating version of uh, yeah. <laughs> the GPS and, recalculating. I mean, it's it is entirely possible that there was some uh, some influence on the Born Identity novel from three days of the condor because born True. identity or even was published yeah yeah i mean uh published in 1980 so it was it was after the novel and movie of condor um right and i i i could see that completely but no that's not a bad comparison and 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 it's just it's it's fun to see uh like the evolution of spy films and spy storytelling that has gone on mm-hmm. uh, and how yeah. you can you can still get to the same kind of like ambiguous conclusions, but take a couple of different routes to get there. Uh, I think is is a lot of fun. So, yeah, it, three days of the Condor. If you get a chance to watch it, watch it. Uh, you got nine days left as of this recording. We're a couple of days before Christmas, so it looks like it's going to be gone the first of the year from from uh, Amazon Prime. But um, seek it so out. If you hear this uh, on Wednesday, you have a few days still. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, it's Enjoy definitely worth, break. yeah, and and uh, it's worth watching. And plus, I mean, come on, Robert Redford. Like, I, I watched a review of the movie, and somebody was saying, like, he, you know, the character is this nondescript kind of bookish uh, CIA analyst who looks like Robert Redford, and he happens to kidnap uh, a woman who's just a photographer in New York who looks like Faye Dunaway. It's like, well, yeah, right. I mean, that's movies. Yeah. I got no problem with that. But Redford yeah. is amazing in this. And if yeah. you didn't, like like you said, you were going to kind of seek out more of his movies and watch some more stuff with him. He's always so good, but there's some, like, this is right in that sort of peak era for him. Um, I feel like. The beginning he, of his maturity as an actor, I think. Yes. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Like so. crystallization where it all comes together. Yeah. Um, but I definitely don't, I haven't seen, uh, I, I've, as I was looking through the timeline of when this came out with like Watergate and other movies, cause I wanted to like nail down, like this is sandwiched between Watergate and all the president's men. So it fits yep. very well in that very specific time. Um, but I'm looking through and I had heard, I, it, there are so many, okay. So being born in the eighties, growing up in like the eighties and the nineties, like Robert Redford was just a name like Robert De Niro. Like you, these are just things like you see that person in the movie and like, you know who it is like Bruce Campbell, you mm-hmm. see Bruce Campbell in a movie, you're getting Bruce Campbell. It's rare that you're going to get Bruce Campbell being something else. Right. Even in Bubba Hotep to an extent, you're still getting Bruce Campbell as Elvis, you know, whatever, yeah. but um, theoretically, but um, <laughs> so I think that's where I feel like I need to go back. like, it's like when you're looking at your DVDs or your movies and you're like, yeah, I've seen that one. I don't want to watch that. Uh, like when you're looking for something to watch and like you're just looking at the spines of the 
things on the shelf or your streaming app or whatever. And you're like, no, no, no. And like Robert Redford was kind of just a known quality quantity to me that I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's him. So see, I guess what I would say is to tease this or set it up for somebody. If you enjoyed the spy elements of winter soldier and you want to know why they specifically put Robert Redford in that role, mm-hmm. go back and watch this movie because this basically puts him in the Steve Rogers position, but he's not a superhero. I actually yeah. rewatched Winter Soldier after watching this. And as soon as like all the Redford stuff was like wrapped up, I was just like, Oh, there's still like 45 minutes of like Marvel superhero <laughs> stuff going on here. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll finish it, but okay. I was kind of, t- kind of zoned out at that point. I got what I came for, but right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, I, I want to go back. Oh, so what I was saying, um, Jeremiah Johnson, Mm-hmm. is one that I've never seen. I was never really big, big into Westerns, but I, I'm I'm going to actively seek that one out because uh, I hear it's good and it's it's a different take on a Western, which is good. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into that. And I, like I said, I might just straight up do a Robert Redford like filmography, just like watch it all, like go for a di- deep dive yeah, on his stuff. I mean you're you got a lot to choose from and it's it's all good stuff i mean i you look at from butch cassidy and the sundance kid was 1969 he did jeremiah johnson completely seen i've seen parts of it plenty of times but mm-hmm. yeah but like, that's again jeremiah my Robert johnson yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a couple of years later and then it's like the sting is 1973 this is mm-hmm. 1975 great gatsby was 74 all the presidents men 76 like pilot movie that he put out the same year as this i think too it was like a uh, yeah the great waldo pepper yeah was which is a, a title i have heard of but again didn't know anything about mm-hmm. yeah that one i have not seen but like he did all that in the span of six or seven years yeah uh, and that's not even well, getting released- into things like yeah but i mean that's not even getting into things like the natural and out of africa mm-hmm. and uh you know um uh he ends up doing sneakers in 92 like yeah which is another That's great another spy movie good one yeah so i feel definitely, like this um, all the president's men and sneakers would be like an interesting like triple feature because you, be. you could round out with sneakers as like yeah this is your comfort movie like send you on your way at the end of this because like you've had two kind of intense <laughs> movies two, two heavy sneakers. movies and then we'll we'll give you a little dan uh, Aykroyd. We'll round yes. it out. <laughs> Perfect. Listen to mother. <laughs> always, always listen to mother. Well, jo- Josh, this has been super fun. I'm glad. Uh, I mean, I always love having you on, but it was nice to get you back for a fun Christmas movie um, and a kind of an alternative Christmas movie uh, that we did sort of last minute, which was great. Um, yeah. And one now, neither of us has seen. So we're both fresh yeah. on this. Which is that, good. I that, like that. That is also fun. Yeah. It is a lot of fun to come into it fresh from, from both uh, sides. Um, but it's also talked, one of those uh, when I watch something and I'm like, oh, I got to tap Travis on this. He hasn't <laughs> seen it. Like, yeah, this, it just like reaches that point of like my radar. Like, yep, yeah, this is definitely a pass on movie. <laughs> Love it. Um, and I know last time we had talked, uh, you were working on possibly starting to, to work on some projects of your own. How's that going? Are you kind of any further or has it sort of been in a holding pattern? Uh, well, 
as you said, we're recording this a couple days before Christmas. My 2023 has been a weird <laughs> year. Not a bad year, but not a great year. There's been some really good things in my life, but a lot of just weird. Mm -hmm. uh, I live in Maine, and there's been a lot of uh, things that have happened in Maine this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Basically. Um, so while, st while stuff hasn't directly impacted me, it's been like proximity affected mm -hmm. like adjacent so it's very close so there's been some like delay on some thoughts but it, it I'm, I'm almost glad for it because i feel like i have a better idea of things i want to work on so like my motto this last couple of weeks has become do more in 24 so like i plan on like i have a a, a new pc that i've got i'm gonna try to get some editing stuff going i might use this uh this movie three days of the condor i might use this as like a practical exercise of like if i was going to do a, an essay about a movie or whatever um yeah but yeah I, I don't know specifically what it will manifest as but i definitely still have ideas as i watch and experience things and realize that i should start doing things with that energy that i generate naturally <laughs> instead of just oh that would be a fun idea and then not doing anything about it so we'll see I stay tuned 2024 <laughs> Might have more going on. Awesome. Doing more in 24. That's a good motto. And more abled, more abled too with the computer and the other stuff I have. Go uh, yeah, I've acquired things that I'm now able to like properly begin things the way that I, I could have started doing like, yeah, I'm recording this on my phone and uh, I'm just talking about a movie. Uh, there's a lot of people that want to make content and I appreciate the ambition, but then it's like, take a little time to like hone it in, make it, make it a little tighter yeah. and cleaner and I, feel, I can do it the way I kind of want to do it now, which is good. And yeah, you and I are both kind of that same mindset of like, we want to do the thing, but we also know kind of a standard we want to hit. And yeah, so I totally get that. Well, awesome. Uh, we'll be looking forward to that. And when any of it comes about, you let me know and I will, uh, I will broadcast it and make sure people hear about it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you enjoy this you, show, you, you get um, Big things coming up. Yeah. Anything well, for so, 2024 um, you want to tease? <laughs> uh, I've got projects for 2024. We're going to put it that way. Um, I am going to be at okay. Dragon Con in 2024, though. So that'll be a lot of fun. Okay. I'm going to do a, I'm actually doing a live, uh, wait, you haven't seen episode at Dragon Con this coming year. Nice. Um, so that will be a lot of fun. Um, in short term, next week, I'm actually doing, uh, and this will be kind of fun, um, Condor Man which is sort of a spy movie spoofy thing um, with uh, with my good friend, Amy Frost. She is going to come. We, this got brought up during uh, another podcast that we co-host with a couple of friends. Those were the days and Condor man mm, was brought up and yes. I mentioned I hadn't seen it. And she immediately said, well, then the next time I'm on the show, that's the movie that we're doing. So that's what we're going to be doing next week. Uh, it'll actually be recorded on new year's Eve. Um, so it'll be, it'll be the first episode of 2024 is going to be Condor Man. So it's also fitting kind of that days of the Condor comes before this. <laughs> yes. So it's perfect. Uh, so I can't wait for that. Um, and then I've got some fun stuff lined up for 2024. I can't talk about yet. Um, yeah, but we'll, we'll get to that. Also, uh, coming up on new year's Eve, I'm going to be doing some live streaming, uh, for part of the diamond club streamathon. Um, where we are raising money and uh, 
and doing a 24 hour stream on the diamond club channel. Uh, I'm doing an hour in the morning. Uh, I'm going to play some Marvel snap on stream and then come back a couple hours later and do some, uh, Forza horizon, uh, five mm-hmm. racing. So that'll be nice. a lot of fun too. Uh, that's coming up on new year's Eve. And then later that night, um, I'll be recording on this channel. Like I do every Sunday, typically, uh, 8 PM Eastern time. Uh, be doing what you haven't seen with Amy Frost and Condor man. So, uh, and, and if that ever does change, if it's not a Sunday night, just, um, keep an eye out on the socials. Uh, I'm on all the social media platforms as TV's Travis. And I, I put out when, uh, when things are going to change. Uh, this was a last minute surprise. So not much warning for this one. (laughs) Yeah, this one was a last minute one. Um, and with the holiday falling the way that it did, it just worked out. So, but Josh, thank you so much uh, for being here. I'm looking forward to doing more in 24 and and having you back for sure, um, because it's always a great conversation uh, that we get to yeah. when we get to sit down and talk. Yeah, it definitely. I, I'm sure others have said something similar to this, but like it, when you connect with people who speak a similar language, I mean, like subject mm-hmm. matter wise like we, we we can speak film like whatever but like it, it scratches a very specific itch that you don't get all the time kind of like that yeah. november moment, that line it's like oh like my conversation with you about movies treads into that november territory of like oh i can just kind of throw a word out there and then you get exactly what i meant based on everything yep. else that has currently been the, yeah so I, I i i enjoy these sometimes i feel like uh I might over talk and over I, I can get a little rambly at some time. So I'm curious to see how I do in a structured format, like an, like a video essay, but uh, I enjoy the rambling, but yeah, it, it's always good to have the, uh, it's always good to have the conversation with you about the movies and stuff. Yeah. And look, this, this is the place to do the rambling. You get the rambling mm-hmm. out here. Um, so yeah. definitely. Uh, but yeah, we'll get you back for sure uh, in the coming year. Um, and as we close out 2023, Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you to everybody who listens to this. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, um, including YouTube. It comes out Wednesdays. And uh, a subscription um, to the podcast or to the YouTube channel as that sl- steadily grows uh, is also greatly appreciated. And then you can find everything to do with the show at tvstravis.com. That includes um, merchandise if you want to get my silly logo on something. Uh, or there's a Patreon for the show. Uh, there's a link at tvstravis.com or just go to patreon.com slash WYHS. You can uh, join there and paid uh, patrons um, get exclusive stuff as well as shout outs on the show, uh, monthly movie nights, which I need to probably figure out uh, a little bit better schedule for 2024 on those as well. Um, and that's for as little as a dollar an episode. So definitely, if uh, if you can, check that out. Um, if not, I understand. Uh, and I just appreciate you listening to the show. So, um, Josh, thank you so much for being here. And uh, yeah. come on back next week, everybody. And uh, we I'm go from three days of the Condor a, to Condor Man. <laughs> I'm just going to take a second. I actually, I, I haven't looked. I just talk to you usually. But I haven't actually looked at the YouTube for this. But I'm looking at it now and I'm like, Okay, I'm I'm appreciating the uh, the 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 nature of your screen caps, your 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 thumbnails for your videos. Like oh, they're very you. catchy. <laughs> they're good. Like, I'm seeing these. I'm like, they did that movie. Oh, oh, they did that. And then like the questions that are in here, it's like okay. Like I want to. It makes me want to 
put one of these and they're all like an hour and a half. So you could throw one of these on in the background because they're not sure, visual, yeah. but they, I, I definitely, uh, I like props on the, the YouTube. It looks like, it looks well, thank good. you. Oh, I, I see I, the annihilation. I, <laughs> been been trying to to make that a little more uh viewable and a little more accessible um and get and it's it's working it's slowly growing so every every little bit helps uh every person who subscribes i appreciate it thank you so much and um if you know people that like movie conversations hey send them my way um so yeah until next week and condor man with amy frost just remember to enjoy your movies and be excellent to each other Merry Christmas. Do I have permission to take a shower? You don't have to help, you know? Oh, no, no. I'll help. I always depend on the old spy fucker. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>